Welcome and thank you for joining us for the NAHU Healthcare Happy Hour, the official podcast of the National Association of Health Underwriters. Before we begin, please take a moment to subscribe to our podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, or Spotify. The podcast is distributed on these platforms every Friday and is included in the NAHU's weekly member-exclusive health policy newsletter, The Washington Update, giving you a head start on your weekly healthcare happy hour. The president signed the Inflation Reduction Act of 2022 into law earlier this week. We covered the relevant provisions of this new law on last week's edition of the Healthcare Happy Hour. So, if you're interested in learning more about that, please listen to last week's episode and check out this week's edition of the Washington Update. On this week's episode of the Healthcare Happy Hour, we are joined by Heather Mead, Principal at Washington Council, Ernest & Young, an adjunct professor at Georgetown University Law Center, to raise a topic that we have yet to discuss on the podcast, site-neutral payment reform. Hi, Heather. Some folks listening may remember you from our successful efforts to get the Cadillac Tax repealed, but that was well over two years ago now. So would you mind just briefly introducing yourself to our listeners? Hi, Dan and Chris. It's so great to be with you and with your audience again. As you mentioned, my name is Heather Mead, and I'm a principal at Ernst & Young, their Washington Council practice. I do serve as an adjunct professor at Georgetown focused on employee benefits. One of the things that I am doing now is the same thing I was doing then, which is focusing on cost containment in employer-provided insurance. After the Cadillac tax was repealed, it turns out that that conversation really unearthed a lot of long-term concerns around employer-sponsored insurance. One of those concerns was the cost. So the Alliance to Fight the 40 turned into the Alliance to Fight for Healthcare, and we're now working together with NAHU to continue to look for ways to reduce costs for everyone with employer-sponsored health insurance. And that's what we want to talk about today. So as I mentioned before, the main topic of this week's podcast is site-neutral payments. This has not been the hottest healthcare topic in recent months, but it's certainly a topic that has been gaining traction and will be gaining traction as we head into the new year. So to start, what are site-neutral payments? When folks hear discussion around site-neutral payment reform, what are they talking about? So, Dan, that's a really good question. And I think at its very base form, site-neutral payments is exactly what it sounds like. And it means that you are paying the same amount of money for the same treatment, no matter where you are. So I'd like to think about it with an analogy from a soda machine. If you'll give me just a second to walk you through this, you'll see where I'm going. So think about your average soda that you buy in a soda machine. Let's say you pay a dollar for that soda if you buy it out of the soda machine or the pop machine, depending on where you live in the country. If you then go to your corner convenience store, you might pay $2 for that same soda that you paid a dollar for out of the soda machine. But if you go to a fancy restaurant, you might pay as much as five, six, or $7 for that exact same soda being put in your cup at that fancy restaurant. Site-neutral payments, where this comes into play, is now imagine that you go back to your soda machine and you want to buy that dollar soda. But unfortunately, that 
fancy restaurant has bought your soda machine and put their name on the outside of that soda machine. So when you go to hit that button for your dollar soda, they then want to charge you $5 for the exact same soda in the exact same location that you were five minutes ago. So that's really what we're talking about here. But in the healthcare world, the restaurant is the hospital and the pop machine or the soda machine is your doctor's office. And what we're seeing is that we have a system that is incentivizing hospitals to go out, buy up all of these soda machines or doctor's offices, put their name on the door, and then they charge much higher prices for the exact same service, even though just a few days ago, you might have received it from the exact same doctor in the exact same place for a much lower cost. So what we want to do with site neutral payment reforms is to sort of level that playing field and say, hey, if you're getting the same piece of health care, it should cost the same amount, whether you're getting it in one place or another. Yeah, thank you, Heather. I think that's a very important point. I think this is a topic that we're seeing increasingly happen. So many of our members were very involved in surprise billing. And I think this is a very similar process going on here. You often have the attempt by private equity firms and others to buy up these small practices and now really being able to charge all different prices by really going in and, and gouging the customer in ways that they can't anymore now that we pass surprise billing. This was not a topic that existed years ago, but is now one that's increasingly we're hearing from more and more consumers. Yeah, it really has a huge consumer impact. I think site-neutral payment, despite its wonky terminology, is something that really falls especially heavy on the consumer. When you have the hospital go in and buy up that physician practice in order to increase their billing rates, the burden really falls on the patient. Because what happens is, that patient now has to pay a co-payment both for the physician visit that they had and a separate co-payment for the hospital services that they didn't really receive. So you are then seeing two co-payments for that one visit, whereas before you would have only seen one co-payment and at a much lower cost. It's just a really easy way for hospitals to kind of game the system and increase their revenue by using the current Medicare rules and it really comes at a big expense to patients. You mentioned a little earlier about how we're looking for ways to control costs for employers and employer-sponsored coverage. So I'm wondering, what sort of impact do these payments have on employer-sponsored plans? So and the effects are huge on the commercial market. Obviously, a lot of the site-neutral payment changes that have been made in the past have been done in the Medicare market because the payment rates we're talking about are actually Medicare payment rates. But the truth of the matter is these have a huge effect on how much employers pay. First, for some employers, they actually pay a percentage of Medicare costs. So when hospitals game the system and increase their rates by buying up physician practices, that means that those employers pay an increased percentage on an increased base, incredibly increasing their rates. When you look at what it means for other employers, frequently the Medicare payments are sort of the baseline for where we begin negotiating. And so current estimates are expecting billions of dollars in savings to the Medicare program and also maybe even greater amounts to the commercial market if we make some of these changes to pull out the most egregious circumstances where these billing changes are happening. 
And for those who are not intimately familiar with the discussions around this topic in the industry, what are the positions of carriers generally? Yeah, well, it might not surprise you to learn that hospitals, particularly post-COVID, right, are working really hard to maintain and sometimes sustain their financial standing, right? So they're not volunteering to give up any revenue and I think are, you know, sort of broadly opposed to any changes across the board. You also will not be surprised to find that employers and insurers are really aligned. They're tired of having to pay higher rates that aren't based on the quality of care or the sickness of the patient. When the Office of the Inspector General looked at the type of services that were being provided, hospitals have been pushing back saying, well, look, these higher rates are because the patients in these physician practices are sicker on average. So the Office of the Inspector General looked at it, and lo and behold, turns out those patients were the same patients that were there before, and they weren't any sicker. And so we know we're just paying more for care that was happening before, and there's really something that's pretty easy that we can do about it. So hopefully the alignment of the insurers and the employers on this one will be helpful. Yeah, I think that's a great point. I think employers particularly are going to be really involved in this. First and foremost, I would talk about those who self-insure having the most personal stakes in this. But really, for all employers, we're going to end up paying higher rates because particularly now that surprise billing is closed as a loophole, you're going to find many institutions looking for other ways of trying to bring in new revenue. And this site neutral payment issue, I think, is going to be a way that they're going to continue to try to do this in the coming months and years if we don't do something now. That's exactly right, Chris. We really see it driving not just consolidation, but also higher premiums for everyone, both in the commercial market and in the Medicare market. So speaking of Medicare and the Inspector General, yes, the HHS Office of the Inspector General did release a report earlier this summer that focused on how much Medicare beneficiaries were paying hospital outpatient departments compared to the freestanding physician offices. So you you touched on it a little bit, but can you talk about what that study found? Yeah, I'd be happy to, Dan. You know, this is really interesting because it's the government, right, looking at the effects of its own payment rates. So I thought it was a really interesting study because what they did was they looked at a seven-year period of a very specific code, which is called an E&M code or an evaluation and management code. They looked at those codes, both in those practices that had been turned into these sort of hospital outpatient departments, sort of those hospital-owned centers. And then those that were still these physician-based practices or kind of freestanding practices. And so they looked at this one code between the two over that time frame, and they found some things that were just pretty clear. I think, number one, we just mentioned that there was no real difference in the level of care that was needed between those two, right? There was no justification that it had to be done in the hospital. The second thing that I think our people will be most interested in are the cost savings that would have accrued if that same treatment had been billed at a freestanding. And what we found was that there would have been $1.3 billion in savings to the Medicare program just for that one. What is more shocking to me is that there would have been an additional $334 million in savings for beneficiaries. Because remember, it's not just the plan that is paying, it is also the beneficiary. And so 
these beneficiaries were being fleeced to the tune of about $334 million just over this very short time frame. When we look at this, it's not just the OIG that has been looking at it. This is something that MedPAC has been recommending for years that Congress needs to take a look at. And they have made a number of proposals looking at, in particular, what are called ambulatory payment classifications, which you don't need to know. But what you do need to know is just by making those small changes that have been recommended, it would have saved $6.6 billion for the Medicare program, and it would have saved $1.7 billion for beneficiaries. So these are clear examples, right, where you have this payment mechanism that is artificially driving up costs for plans, and it's artificially driving up costs for beneficiaries. And there are some really thoughtful proposals that are out there that would start to tackle these issues. Regarding federal action on this issue, recently, CMS issued their 2023 Hospital Outpatient Prospective Payment System and Ambulatory Surgical Center Payment System Proposed Rule. And this proposed rule seeks to exempt rural sole community hospitals from this site-neutral payment. What is a rural sole community hospital? And assuming this section is finalized as written, what impact would that have? So to answer your first question and then your second question, uh, a sole rural community hospital is a designation by CMS for certain hospitals that treat primarily rural patients that don't have access to another hospital. So there are a lot of measurements about distance that they are from other hospitals and how many rural patients they're treating. To be honest, while I'm very concerned about site-neutral payment reform, I'm not actually that concerned about this policy. I am very aware of all of the challenges that rural hospitals are having. And while I'm a little discouraged that the way CMS is choosing to help them is by allowing them to utilize, you know, this sort of uneven billing and increasing cost on rural beneficiaries, I do understand that they have a lot of challenges that they're trying to address. So I'm going to take that as them trying to help rural hospitals and hope that they come up with better ways to do that in the future. I think when it comes to site neutral billing overall, we see this happening everywhere in the country, but a lot of it is actually more concentrated in urban and rural areas where we see some of the highest costs right now for beneficiaries and patients. One of the things that I really think about when we think about this is cancer patients. For example, in the last five years, we have seen a 30% increase in patients being treated in locations that have moved from being a physician facility to being a hospital facility. And that means that those patients are now paying those uneven payment rates, resulting in much higher cost sharing for those patients who are already receiving care for a really high cost condition. And Medicare has estimated that over the next 10 years, that number is going to grow exponentially. And we could see another 20% of care being moved into that hospital payment setting, even for care happening in you know what is really a physician setting. And so what I'm really worried about is what that means for patients and what it means for plan costs overall. 
Yeah, I think this is going to continue to be a topic that is important to all different aspects of health insurance agents and brokers. It's going to be, as we started off talking about, those in the employer-based system, which is the way most Americans get their health insurance. But this is also going to be vitally important in that Medicare space that many of our members do. And we're going to continue to see it in the other private sector places like the individual market plans with ACA. So I think she points out two important areas. This will eventually raise premiums as carriers try to cover this, but also the individuals where they have deductibles and other out-of-pocket costs will be paying more with these places that they believe they're going to get the cheaper rate, and then they'll get the bill at the much higher rate that's coming in. Yeah. The Committee for a Responsible Federal Budget actually did a study, and it was focused just on the Medicare market. And they estimated what the premium and the cost sharing reduction would be just for the Medicare market. And that was $94 billion. So they thought that there would be $94 billion in savings available uh, just in premiums and cost sharing for those Medicare beneficiaries. When you think about the size of the employer market, Chris, and what this is doing to cost in the employer market, that number is exponential. When I tried to explain to people about why I'm so focused on this policy, that's exactly where I start, right? If we want the employer market and the marketplace market to remain stable and viable, we really have to look at those things that are continuing to increase costs artificially for employers and for individual purchasers. And this is one of those things that while it's a little wonky to understand, and I'm grateful for anyone that listened this far into this podcast, it's really going to have a big long-term effect on our costs overall, which is going to affect whether or not people can continue and employers that can continue to afford to purchase their health care and pay for health care. The Supreme Court declined to hear a case last summer regarding site-neutral payments. So what did that case mean for this issue? No, I think every case that the Supreme Court looks at is specific to its fact and circumstances. But I think it's a good reminder of what you raised at the beginning and that hospitals are very opposed to this because it takes away a source of easy revenue, which is going out and buying up a physician practice and changing the name on the door. But that's something that we're going to have to contend with as we talk about the right way for hospitals to be paid and incentivized and what we should actually be paying for care. We did some polling on site neutral payments last year, and I was really surprised to find that when you just ask people, you know, the straight question about what do you think you should pay for care? Do you think you should pay the same amount for a service, whether you receive that service in a doctor's office or a hospital? They were overwhelmingly in support of addressing site neutral payment reform. So people get it, right? There is something wrong that's happening when you're using this sneaky payment mechanism to drive up costs for healthcare purchasers and for people in general. So all of this being said, has Congress started to take any action in this area? That's a great question, Dan. So actually, Congress has already taken action in this area. This is going to be a long and possibly slow process. Congress started in 2013 by making some changes to site-neutral billing and certain facility types. And it's clear that more is going to be needed. You know, just a few months ago, we saw new legislation introduced by Congresswoman Sparks. You know, all of these things are a step in the right direction. 
But this is going to be a long conversation that we're going to have to have both with the public, with hospitals, and also with Congress. And we're going to need everybody on the team working together. NHU is focused on the on the long term with this. As other issues we've dealt with in the past, from Cadillac tax to surprise billing, these issues don't get fixed overnight. And there obviously will be people who are trying to oppose this. The large private equity firms and others who are buying up these private practices will oppose it. You will have some large hospital associations who will oppose our efforts. And in general, those who are just trying to make larger profits off of the American consumers. So I think employers and consumers will have to be in this for the long haul. And this is something that NAHU, our employer allies, insurance carriers and others will all have to be working on over the long run. And there's so much education to be done with other health insurance brokers out there, but also so that the consumers understand what's happening to them, so that they understand that this is a real threat to their own out-of-pocket costs and their own threat to higher premiums. And so there's much education less to be done amongst the American public, members of Congress, and others. It is now time for the NAHU Healthcare Happy Hour Toast of the Week. So Heather, what are we toasting to this week? Well, Dan, this week I'm actually toasting to NAHU because NAHU helped fund new research on this topic. And not surprisingly, it's going to focus on how much cost savings could be found in the commercial market if Congress were to move forward with site-neutral payment reforms. We're hoping that this new study will be out later this fall. So I hope that everyone who listened in today will stay tuned. We're also going to have a panel later on in September, on September 22nd, to start to talk about how employers can use this data in order to start to drive down their own costs. So my toast is to NAHU for your great work, both in identifying this issue and working to drive cost savings in the commercial market. Cheers! Thank you for joining us for the NAHU Healthcare Happy Hour the official podcast of the National Association of Health Underwriters. For more information on NAHU's government affairs efforts or to become a member, visit NAHU.org.